Hey, ebook readers, right now, the Flight Attendant Joe series ebooks are only $2.99. That's Fasten Your Seatbelts and Eat Your Fucking Nuts, Flight Attendant Joe, and I'm Just Here for the Layovers on Amazon, iTunes, Nook, and Kobo, $2.99 each. Hey, everybody, if you enjoy listening to Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, now is your chance to become a patron of the podcast. Go check out www.patreon.com slash grounded with flight attendant Joe. There's different tiered levels and each of one of them comes with something special and unique, including the Friday debrief, which is a short podcast episode that I record on Friday mornings, just me and my coffee. And it's only available on the Patreon page for patrons. So again, check that out. www.patreon.com slash grounded with flight attendant Joe. Hey guys, welcome to episode number 34 of the Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe podcast. Today is part two of the Nathan Gresham interview. I'm going to tell you, I have a hard time saying his name. Like, I, I can't even begin to tell you the words that want to come up. Nathan, but the cop, like I can bear, Nathan Gresham, like, couldn't you have just been called like Nate G? Oh, maybe that's what I should have called him. But hey, episode 34, we have Nate back. And he's going to talk to us about his journey from Minnesota to Hollywood to pursue his dream of filmmaking. We're going to talk about COVID-19 and the pandemic and how it halted the production of his film. Like he was like days away, day, probably hours away from starting to film. And then, boop, no filming. Then we got into this incredible, incredible conversation of religion. From A to Z, I think we talked about it. And we're both on the same page. We share how we both became non-believers. Yes. Hold on to your hats, ladies and gentlemen. You have two agnostic-y, atheist-y, non-believing guys on a podcast talking about religion. Just, I promise you, it's not as bad as you think. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, welcome Nate to the show. But I want to talk about Hollywood and I want to talk right. about, let me check that it's 123 because I like to know when I'm transitioning topics here. Um, what brought you, so you went from Minnesota to Vegas. I know you hate, mm -hmm. I know, I know personally you think Las Vegas is, is basically the pit of hell. Um, it was pretty bad. How did you get to, what brought you to, why did you stop in Vegas? Uh, yeah, uh, it's a, I, I'll, I'll shorten the story because it can be kind of a long one. Um, simple, uh, simple version is I graduated college. It took me seven years to graduate college because I had two part-time jobs pretty much throughout it. Um, and I was a broke college student that couldn't afford to go to every class anyway. So I was so desperate to leave Minnesota. I was like, where, where can I go? What can I do? I had two friends of mine that moved to Vegas prior to me, like a few months before I got out there, maybe even in a year. Um, but at the time, it was 2007. Um, CSI was the biggest show. Vegas was like the most, um, uh, the biggest location for filming any every show, every TV show, every movie. It was, it was in every background of every show. Um, Vegas was having this big giant boom. Uh, they were calling it the New Hollywood at the time. Um, so I'm like, well, I, California intimidated me a little bit for being a small town kid from Minnesota. That you know, 
So let me just kind of ease myself into it was kind of my thinking. But I literally packed up my car. I had no job. I had nowhere to live. Um, I just packed my car up. I was that desperate to leave. Um, I found a place to live uh, on Craigslist. Uh, I found a job working at a restaurant. I, had, I cooked at a restaurant before, so I thought, well, that's a cooking job, not realizing that there's no white people in the kitchen uh, in any of these restaurants for the most part. Um, so I got to a restaurant and they're like, ah, we're going to hire you as a server. I'm like, I don't have any serving experience. That's fine. So I got a job serving at a restaurant and within the first month I had lived, I was living there, I got hired for, um, by a production company to work on the video music awards. Um, that was hosted. Oh, the, uh, the, the MTV music awards used to be held there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and so I got to be a part of this gifting suite, which is where all these celebrities go to get swag. Um, so I got to meet a bunch of celebrities. This is my first month there. So I'm like, kind of like, Ooh, I, I you know, I did it. I'm doing the right thing. Um, I worked on a couple of HGTV shows cause that was popular back then. Um, things like that. What were you and doing? What were you doing in those shows? May I, I was filming. I was doing, I was doing like, uh, footage for those shows. Um, like they were like, they, it was a show called, um, secrets of cell or something like that. And I would just go and interview, uh, and do some, like the B roll of these locations. Um, just me and a camera and nothing, you know, nothing crazy. Um, and then I, the economy crashed and it, Vegas became a giant ghost town. Cause no one had any money, no one could afford to go on vacation. Um, so the whole town dried up very quickly and, uh, I was like, great, perfect. As soon as I get here, the, the whole place just fucking disappears. So I'm, I, I met a couple of dudes that were doing, uh, that were uh, film school at the uh, art institute. And we got a, they approached me about being a first AD on this uh, million dollar feature film that this guy was doing. And I was like, cool. Yeah, I'm down. So I learned how to be a first AD right then and there. Cause I didn't know how to do anything like that. So I'm very much like, give me a, give me a job and I'll learn how to do it before I get to the job. Now, and, what, is, what is an AD? Is that like an assistant director? No. Yes. Okay. Yes. Perfect. So okay. they're, 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 they're in charge of a lot of logistics, like in pre-production. Um, the breakdown of the script to see what all the, all the props and locations and uh, the cast and like who's all in what scenes and all that kind of stuff. And then on set, they're kind of like the, uh, the taskmaster. They're, they're like, they're making sure that everyone's doing the job and they're moving from location to location. They're kind of like the, everyone calls them the, the you got to be a bitch on set. If you're going to be a first day, you got to be like yeah, the guy everyone hates. Um, because it's the only way that the job's going to get done. So I learned how to be a first idea. I learned how to break down a script. I didn't know how to do any of that stuff beforehand. And then the guy that was, uh, he was the lead actor and the producer of the film um, was casting girls at his house and then trying to convince them to sleep with him. And so that's, he got arrested. That's so, that's and, so Hollywood, yeah. even though it's happening in Las Vegas. Yep. So he tried to do some casting couch bullshit and the whole production got shut down and disappeared. So I was frustrated by that. Me and my friends started shooting some stuff, some little goofy independent like short films and things like that. And, uh, but I was so desperate to get out of there and go to, to LA. I should know how to do it. So we, I decided to, you know, make the big move. I was working for the hard rock cafe and they just opened up a new uh, location on the strip on the boulevard here. Um, so I was able to transfer cause they're looking for new people to go down. So that's how I got to LA. Um, and that was 10 years ago. It'll be 11 years in December. Um, so Ever since then, a lot of change. I, I had a bunch of epiphanies when I got here, which is great because this is the town for epiphanies. And I met some amazing people. Um, and got my creative juices like literally like boiling. 
and I came up with a bunch of concepts. I shot some short films. I worked on some other people's stuff. And um, I had a, I came up with a concept while I was in Vegas uh, that I never flushed out until I got to LA and I got an idea like, let me just flush it out see where it, see where it lives. And that has now turned into my feature film that I was supposed to be shooting three days before coronavirus and the, and the lockdown happened. I was supposed to be shooting. So we shut down three days before. So, and that's your, that's um, still, and that's forest for the show. trees, right? Forest for the trees. That, that's forest for the trees. Yeah. Now so, let's talk about that because it's a, ho- it's a horror movie. Am I correct? That's the easiest way to describe it. Yeah. Now, a little more nuanced, but yeah, it's the easiest way. Without, with and you haven't started recording, you haven't started filming, so I don't want you to give too much away. But for my own sure. curiosity, without giving the plot away, what is your movie about? Uh, I can give you the log line. That's kind of the easiest way to. Uh, that's what a log line is. If you don't know, a log line is a one one or two sentences that basically sums up the whole movie, which is a it is the hardest thing to do in filmmaking. I would say mm-hmm. is log line because a log line has to make you interested, sum up the whole movie, not giving anything away make you want to watch it and describe what's going on. It's very challenging, but uh, the, the log line for, for the, but before you get the log line. So people know sure. is the log lines, the thing you read on the movie poster. Usually. Yeah. That's uh, usually it's a, a version of it or something. Yeah. That is basically okay. the descriptor. Um, so the log line for forest is actually, uh, it's easier if I read it because I always, I kind of twist it around sometimes. Um, I usually I have it memorized, but I'm not going to go the, the way of, you know what I mean? Right. No. So, I, can't, um, I don't even have your name in my phone correctly. So yeah, please read it. Yeah. yeah exactly. Trust me. I'm good. Well, I've said it a million times, but I've, I've kind of tweaked it recently to make it a little bit more polished. Um, so I'll just pull it up here real quick. Uh, now, how long have you been working? You've been working on this since you lived in Vegas over a decade ago, or the idea came to you a decade ago. I had, I had the idea a decade ago and um, I actually saw, shot some test footage a decade ago, oddly enough. Um, it had a completely different story. It was more of a comedy and more of like a parody. Um, but I'll read the logline for a second idea. So the logline is while shooting their popular web series, a team of paranormal investigators force a terrifying presence to reveal itself in the cursed mountain forest where people go, where people disappear without a trace. Oh, I'm so intrigued so already. That's the, uh, yeah, so that's the idea. We want to get people interested. So, oh, yeah. yeah, it's basically, it, it falls in the line of, I mean, I basically wanted to, I, I'm sick of these uh, found footage movies because they're, they're as a, a low-budget filmmaker and almost nearly a no-budget filmmaker, is <laughs> they're the easiest stories to tell because you just take, uh, you know, it's minimal equipment. You don't need big lights and stuff for some of it. Um, you can, but. Like, you know, Paranormal Activity and Blair Witch, they, they kind of highlighted how cheap these can be done with a large return on, on investment. So we made the movie for a lot of reasons. One, the possibility of high return on investment. Two, the ability to shoot it with a uh, limited crew. Three, um, the potential of ha- having us be able to shoot it ourselves without any funding. Uh, and then four, is that it's the possibility for Im- investors to come in knowing it's a low value a uh, low cost up front, but a possibility for a high return. So the story itself was, I've written the script about 34 times of major revisions. Obviously I'll tweak words throughout. I'm every day. I tweak the damn thing, but um, I've literally written the thing 34 times. 
Wow. Uh, the reason, yeah, the reason being, and that's, that's not common, but it's also not uncommon. Um, main reason is, is because my, the story of this production has, has had giant ups and giant valleys. It's just a lot of things have happened, but uh, it's the best, the best movies are, they always have a story. So this project was, um, I initially started with a budget of 35,000, which is what I thought I could get myself out of like, you know, my money which is like take out of my 401k or whatever, whatever means I could get I, 35 was like a window. I thought I could hit. So I wrote the story on a uh, bare bones of the story to, to be able to accomplish that with a low cost of like prosumer to consumer grade equipment. Um, and then shoot it. But the, the found footage style I was so sick of, but I knew I could, you could sell it overseas. Cause there's a lot of terrible movies. Horror movies make the most money out of all projects. The, the, the highest percentage rate of return. Because in, the people are more willing to forgive a bad horror movie than they are a bad romantic comedy. So hmm. it's just the way that we are as humans, I guess. But so I wrote the script originally to fit that, that budget. And then we got some possible investors that were going to kick in $100,000 each. There's three of them, possibly four. So we're like, okay, cool. So we actually had uh, some friends of mine go to New York and go to meet with them. And turns out it was only one of them that was interested, but he had three or four, other, two or three other friends that were possibly, if he did it, they might sign on too. Well, that fell through because the rest of them didn't want to do it eventually. And so we lost, I literally wrote the project for $35,000 and then I wrote it for $400,000. Oh, I so bet, it, I bet it was it. such a different movie though. It was, yeah. it was, it was, it had, it actually had a technology that didn't exist that I had kind of thought of. Um, that I've through a lot of research and contacts and stuff was going to make something that had never existed before. So it would have been a very, you'd have experienced the movie in a way no one has ever experienced the movie before, which is still on my to-do list. Um, but this film would have been perfect for that. Unfortunately, it's just not the way it's going to work. Um, but that being said, uh, I was sick of, I'm sick of these found footage movies were like, oh, this happened and then shot it and we found these, this footage so we edited together and now we have a movie and you can go watch it. Right. So with having this found footage up like style, I wanted to elevate it to a, basically uh, I tell them my, this feature film will be told in real time, essentially with a couple little time lapses to get farther down in, in time and space. So it's not a movie that you that someone found and edited. It's something that's happening to them right now. And you get to witness it as it happens. Oh, and so it's almost like you're watching it and it's live. Exactly. Oh. And the way I'm do the way I'm doing that because the majority of the movie takes place at night is because these guys are uh, paranormal investigators. So they bring equipment with them that is used to both hunt for the paranormal, but also allows you to see in the dark and see things that you can't see. So I get to jump from a nice uh, high end uh, camera with night vision to a thermal imaging camera to an IR camera to you know a bunch of different ways of telling the story. Um, but in the writing process, that's a fucking nightmare because if I want so if I need to have something happen to be a part of the plot that gets me from A to B, I have to have a way to tell that perspective or that, that, that situation from a perspective that they either bring with them, that they put up there originally because they're walking in the woods. There's no cameras already set up in the woods. So are they have they, to go out they, and they have to, are they carrying cameras themselves? 
technically? They are. They're, okay. we- they're wearing cameras in a multitude of ways. Uh, there's things that I obviously designed a, a thing called a selfie rig, which is a, a they've existed before, but I've, it's my version of one where they have cameras that face them. So they, it's like a big arm out of what comes sticks out of a backpack and the camera sits and it faces them, their face. Um, so they'll be wearing those throughout the film um, to basically it's uh, as a filmmaker, you need, you need different kinds of shots and a variety of shots to tell something that's compelling. If you watch the movie and it only had one wide angle the whole time, you wouldn't watch that movie. You click out of it within two seconds. So you need to have a, you need to have extreme wides, wide mediums, extreme mediums, close-ups, all that stuff needs to happen. And it needs to happen in a way that's interesting and the way that your eye, the way your brain kind of receives information. So if you're, if they're wearing cameras and they're putting up cameras and those cameras that I put up there or that I have, I have to basically find a way to do close-up, medium wide, medium close-up, extreme close-up wide. I need to be able to tell that, that in the edit, I need to be able to do those shots so that a, I can tell my story, but it's also interesting. Right. Mm-hmm. So I had to come up with in the writing process, I had to know where the cameras were to be able to tell that part of the story, which is a writing challenge that most people don't have to deal with. Usually you're like, you know, Steve walked in the bar, he sits down, he asked the bartender for a drink. In my case is Steve walks into the bar, the CCTV camera in the bar picks him up like sure, like, so it has to be built into the script for it to be able to tell the story. So that was a big writing challenge for someone who before this project, I wasn't much of a writer. So I've literally like this movie for me is basically it's film school. It's my calling card. It's going to be <laughs> my, my launching pad all together in one giant amalgam. So. Well, yeah, what, is, what is your, what is, so you haven't started filming it yet, but do you have an idea of when you guys are going to get into the woods and start filming? Well, the, the problem I'm running into, uh, once again, is the second wave possibility of the coronavirus. So we shut down three days before I was supposed to be filming. Um, I was one day away from prepping for that first shoot. So I was, it was right at the, 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 the notes there, the situation. So we shut down for the safety of my cast and crew. Um, also, I was getting um, permits for places and they didn't want, like, I, I have forest land that I was going to be using, so I couldn't use that if they're, if they're locked down. So, so if my, my movie takes place in the forest, so the weather is a really big deal, and we're shooting at night. So I was going to be shooting in, in March, and the trick is it was going to be cold at, you know. Sure, right. Tits on, tits on a cow in winter. And it was problematic because I had to buy all this like warm weather stuff. I bought like propane heaters. I bought, you know, even little uh, hand warmers. Like I bought bulk of that for my cast and crew so they don't freeze. Um, so I had a, the weather was a big factor and also a big cost. So I bought all this stuff in preparation for that. Oh, and no. So I literally have my, where you used to record our, the podcast for, uh, um, uh, what was it called again? I can't remember. <laughs> What are the podcast? Uh, yeah, Confessions? yeah, yeah. Confessions, Confessions on the fly with LJ and Flight Lieutenant Joe. Yeah, <laughs> um, that that, pod- that podcast studio is now full of forest for the trees, props and costumes and heaters and all sorts of camping stuff. Um, so I haven't been able to use my podcast studio this entire time, unfortunately. But um, the the problem is, is we we have to have we want to have the the breath showing. 
you don't have to have it, but it's one of those nice little elements of, of when you're running through the woods at night and you can see your breath, it just adds another element of, of, you know, isolation and fear. So I also can't be shooting in the middle of summer and I can't be shooting in the middle of winter. So those two seasons are out. So I can only do it in spring or fall. Well, summer's not going to work. So I can prep for the fall, but that's when the second wave is supposed to peak is the fall. So then I have to skip winter and then maybe do the spring again. Oh, Jesus. So we're looking at almost like another year. It's possible. Oh. It's possible. It, it, it's, you know, we have to, it's, I have to take things day by day because I don't know. And on top of that, I have, you know, I have people flying or uh, coming down from Seattle. I have people coming down from the Bay. I have people that work other jobs. I have people who were working and now they aren't working and then they will be working again. So if they, if, if I say, Hey, we're shooting this thing. I'm like, and they already got a job. Like I need to find someone else again. So then the scheduling is a nightmare. And I, I take out a permit. The permits are set days and I can't change them unless I file for another permit. And that takes time. So producing movies, they don't tell you this, but it's kind of hard to do. Yeah. No, no. It doesn't sound fun at all. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. sound fun. So now when, once it's finally done and it's edited and it's, it's finished and it's a finished movie and I'm sure I'm going to get my invitation to come to the opening. <laughs> you can be LJ's date. Well, that's, well, what if she has someone else now? Now I'm going to be like, I don't she, care. I don't care. I'm coming. It's she doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't, yeah. She doesn't get a choice. Oh, you can be my date. That's fine. Oh, I'll be your date. I'll be Mona's date. Yeah. Um, Mona's yeah, date. there you go. Um, what yeah. is your goal? Do you have a plan for, all right, I'm going to submit it to this festival. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Like, how do you, I'm making my own movie. What's next? That's probably the part that I'm the least experienced with and the least knowledgeable, but I have a team um, that has more experience than I do. Um, I have some producers that have gone through the process before, um, have got show, shop movies and stuff. But the easiest way to do it without having uh, a foot in the door is the festival circuit. Um, so you basically enter a film festival, you pay some money to get your movie in, um, and then those at those film festivals, you'll have distributors or representatives from distributor companies um, looking for content. Um, and that's kind of the simplest way to kind of uh, explain it. Um, and they have different markets, and there's different ways to break down how money is exchanged and all that kind of stuff. When it comes to money, I am in, in, in art, I am the worst. So I am a, I can create stuff, but I don't know how much to charge for it, that kind of thing. Um, right. So there's people that do that. I have my, my producer, uh, Amy Campione, uh, is an upcoming director and uh, producer and writer and stuff. Um, uh, an amazing talent. I'm very, very blessed to have her. Problem is, is she's so good. She's super busy and hard to get a hold of. Um, and sometimes the, the the hand that has the money in it gets grabbed first. Um, but I do have uh, my my cast, my crew have been super, super, super loyal um, and very supportive. Uh, a lot of them are friends of mine uh, for the most part, or friends of friends, um, because I like to surround myself with talented people who are also friendly and, and uh, I get the benefit of both worlds. Um, but the amount of support this movie has garnered from people who are way more talented than I, than I should be able to afford. Um, that's where I'm the most like gracious and grateful. Uh, so surrounding myself, the only way you can, I tell people, this is kind of a, a quote I say a lot is it's, it's my idea, but it's not my movie. Um, 
it's, there's no way I alone can make this happen. And I alone would make a terrible version of it without these people. So I'm a big collaborator. I mean, I, you, you kind of know from experiences, collaboration, you get the best product and someone being, this is my idea and we're doing it my way. I don't have that kind of ego, thankfully. Um, but you, there is a point where like, I am the ultimate decision maker, which is scary because I'm not really the most uh, decisive on something. But um, it's being in charge forces you to like, okay, we're making a decision, we're moving forward, and that's the way it's going to be. But I've worn uh, as many hats that uh, one can wear, except for maybe the acting side in the film. <laughs> uh, that I, I have a hard time getting letting go of some hats as well, but I try. And you're not, you're not, you're not going to act in this movie. You're just the director. Or the I director. was going to make a small, small, small cameo, but I don't even think I'm going to do that anymore. So we'll see. No, now, that'll be a for the moment thing. But you don't have a real desire to be in front of the camera. Do no. You? no, no, no. Does it make, how does it make you feel if somebody said, we're going to put you on camera, smile? Um, we've tried this because of like the, the history of this film. We try to get, you know, we tried to enter contests and like there was a, um, uh, horror film, uh, submission contest where you submit your, you and your partner, whoever's making the movie, you submit a video to them. This train wreck was fucking miserable. I wrote a script for it. I <laughs> have a concept. I, I couldn't deliver a line to save my goddamn life. I had one of my buddies, uh, was, was filming and directing the, like me and my buddy Vinny, who's my writing partner and business partner and also a lead actor in the movie. Um, we, I wrote this whole scene about how I'm in, I'm in the woods looking around trying to find the people who are going to give us the contest winning prizes, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wearing like the gear I'm like running around and I had a couple little lines. We did like 31 takes and I couldn't mail any of them. Oh, you just, you I just, just don't, do you I, freeze I, up? Do you freeze up or is it just not your comfort zone? It's definitely not my comfort zone. It's a bunch of different things. I don't know. I can't really like, I, I'm, I like to diagnose myself, but it, I don't know really what the problem is. Um, I, I just, when I'm in front of a camera lens and they have expectations on me, I, I also, I've, I've come to realize, I think I have a fear of humiliation, which probably stems from my childhood, but um, uh, I like the fear of humiliation. I will think about what's happening versus being in the moment, which is what you have to be to, you know, to do those kind of things. Well, how much, how much do you think if it fit, if, if that humiliation thing comes from your childhood, how much do you think of that is just having confidence in yourself? Um, that, well, I've always had to like, I, not always. I've, when I had my epiphanies back when I first moved out, a lot changed in the way I've kind of perceived myself and who I associated with and that kind of stuff. Um, but I think for me is, is I, I, I also have a disdain sometimes for people who need to have everything be about them. So it kind of rubs me the wrong way pretty easily. And so when I, I, I don't want to be something I don't, I don't like. So I'm, I have a hyper awareness to that, I guess. Um, and then when things are, when everyone's paying attention to me, I get a little bit flustered and I don't like to sound stupid. So like, I like to present myself in, in the, uh, as good of light as I can and, but I, I don't know. There's, I also have a tendency to mumble sometimes when I don't know what I'm like. I don't know. There's a bunch of stuff that I think it all kind of builds into what my issues are. Well, <laughs> to a therapy session real quick. Oh, well, you know what? 
I love, I love turning it. When I asked you, do you think this has anything to do with confidence? I was like, sure. and now we're transitioning into in mental, in mental health therapist, Joe. But no, I think, you, you know, I, I love the idea that there's people who love to be in front of the camera. There's people who don't love to be in front of the camera and you've got to have people in all the positions. So, but yeah. I'm so, I'm so interested in what makes you be someone who wants to be the behind the camera and then someone like Vinny who wants to be the center of attention. Always forever. And he's 12. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've been, um, I, 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 he served me drinks <laughs> before. I know he, he definitely, uh, he'll serve be, you more than drinks. Well, He's great. I mean, how he, uh, that time we were on Hollywood Boulevard at, at his bar and he was working at, and he was serving us drinks and I was eating mozzarella sticks and I was like, this is the greatest part of life. I'm on Hollywood Boulevard. I just recorded confessions on the fly. I'm drinking. I'm getting, I, I'm not going to say they were free cocktails, but I believe I paid, they like, were. I paid like 25 cents for 10 drinks. I don't know. Yeah, um, that's how we roll. But when this movie comes out, so you don't get paid yet. So you're doing all uh, of this and it's just like pro bono. Um, money. Um, so yeah, this is, this is the thing that like, I, I'm the most, I'm not, the, I, I hate saying I'm the most, this is me like self-analyzing here. And, and you're, you're, hey, can I just, can I just make a, um, an observation when we were Always. for the hour and 25 minutes, when we were talking about politics and the current world, you were on fire. And ever since I started talking about Hollywood <laughs> and this movie, you're stuttering more. You're a little more, yeah. I can tell you're anxious, but I'm confused because this is your passion. So what well, makes, you, what makes you nervous? The pride. It's not, I would say it's nerves. It's, it's, there are so many ways to go with my thoughts. So I could talk about a 40 million things because I know I, there's so many parts of this puzzle that I'm so aware of because I've been living it for so many years. So when people ask me questions like, so what's the movie about? I'm like, oh boy, how long is this conversation going to be? How much time do we have? Like I could literally give a seminar on this film. Like I could teach a TED talk because it's kind of my shorthand. Mm. Is like, I have a hard time picking and choosing the bits of information that I think will, cause I, I want people to perceive my ideas as fully and the most absorbent and the most accurate as possible. So that's where I get where I'm like, I don't know which part of it to tell you that's going to make the most sense. Cause the last thing I'd want to do is have you come away from the conversation, not knowing what I actually want you to know. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So that's I, where I live. I live in my head a lot. Well, and I wonder how much of that has to do with your fear of being humiliated, because if we say the oh, wrong thing, yeah. then, you know, I gave that up when I started this. Oh, actually, I gave this up a long time ago. <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to humiliate myself probably a hundred times an hour. So I'm not going to be worried about that. But for someone like you, I think it's so interesting because you're a writer, you're a movie maker, you're a producer. And but when I ask you about talk about your passion, it makes you nervous because you want to deliver it. You want to deliver it perfectly. And I appreciate it. I want to be, I want to be accurate. Yeah. As accurate as I can. Right. But like the thing too is, is it's like, I didn't even come to the realization about my fear. Cause I didn't think I, I was, I was talking to someone about rational fears probably a year or so ago. And I'm like, I don't have any, I don't like, it's hard for me to understand people's irrational fears. Cause I'm so logical. Like I'm my obnoxiously logical. 
and oh, it comes to the point where like okay i can <laughs> yeah yeah I, 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 it can be obnoxious because people don't like the culture doesn't allow for much logic <laughs> these days um and so when someone's always taking the logical route it's it's often like it's like i i, I can come off a bit of like a know-it-all or like a, a hoity-toity elitist whatever you want to call it um which i don't like i'm like i, I want to be but i also want to be accurate so this is it's a dichotomy in my brain which is you know this is the human nature but it boils down to is when i'm talking about something that i have a lot of knowledge about it's i have a hard time figuring out where to start and then where to go and then how to end even though like as a storyteller i can you know i can weave you a, a decent tale but uh yeah it's, it's, it's a lot of that it's like it's like it's because when you know, people ask you a question, you're literally writing a story as you're saying it. So I like I, I'm self editing always. Oh, like I'm just editing, right? Because we're know? telling a story right now, and there's no editing of it. It's just I better be careful with what's coming out of my mouth because once it's coming out of my mouth, that's it. But when you write, yep. you can edit a thousand thirty seven times. Yeah, uh, it's going to come out perfect. I know that was my scariest, not so much with confessions on the fly, but when I started this one, that was one of my biggest yeah. concerns was, oh my God, who's going to edit me because I'm insane and yeah. I don't hide it and I get passionate and you can feel it and you can sense it. But I'm so interested in just this conversation I've had with you because we went, you know, for that first part of it, it was just like balls to the wall. And then I just sensed, I was like, Oh, is he, is he struggling with some confidence answering these questions? So I, I appreciate you being so honest. Well, I, I, I would say like, I'm confident about what I know. I'm not confident about how to deliver it, I guess is the better way to, to break that down. Um, and it's, it's, it's something too, where I, I'm, I'm also hyper aware of it. So, it's almost like I'm self-analyzing myself as I'm doing the thing that I'm analyzing myself about. You know? <laughs> well, now you've given me a headache. No, I'm just kidding. I get, I get, I get, me I get meta real quick about a lot of stuff. Um, so. yeah, well, you're, you know, you are very passionate in the times that I've known in the years that I've known you, you're very passionate and it shows like you got arrested basically um, yeah. because you're out there protesting. Most people would just be like, I'm not going to, Oh, it's after curfew. I'm or, or I'm not going to, I'm not going to go get arrested and sit in the back of a bus for four and a half hours. But when you said you were so much like me, when you said I'm getting arrested, they're putting the handcuffs on me. And I'm like, this is a great opportunity. I'm with it. This is a great yeah, opportunity. I'm with it. In, in interview. That's what I would do. I would be like, hi, I have a podcast. Can I ask you some questions? <laughs> well, what's funny too is I, actually, me. I thought about while I was, I actually told the cop a little bit about the story that I was writing. And he's like, oh, well, this would be good resource. I'm like, I know. Um, but when I was in the bus, I didn't mention any of that to the, the, the fellow detainees. Um, Cause I wanted like a raw, like, like environment that I could pull from. And I have, I've, I've been writing like a banshee on that story. Um, I've, I've written a 15, I'm on 16 pages now for a treatment of a story that it wasn't, wasn't nearly, it wasn't really flushed out at all. It was just outlined essentially. And that outline is kind of like disappeared because I've modified it for, you know, modern times. So yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's I, I definitely wouldn't say I'm a common individual and my brain doesn't work in most people's ways, but, 
I also don't think I'm that far off. I think people could definitely think a lot more like me if it's something that, you know, would benefit them. I, I don't know. I can't even say it's benefited me. I'd say this is where I'm at, but. Well, you're, um, you're, you know, I don't mean to interrupt, but you're very logical, like you said, but I'm used to that because my husband is just like that. You know, we joke and yeah. call him Spock. Um, I, I get it. I'm, I get it. I'm really, so I am definitely Spock. I've had 16 years of, I am the emotional roller coaster who sure. I fucking, I drop a piece of ice on the floor and I want to break all the glasses in the kitchen. He's the right. one who's like, I'm going to need you to bring it down a hundred notches. Cause you sound like a lunatic. Cause you dropped a piece of ice on the floor. Um, yep. so I, that's why I think I can have conversations with you. Um, I agree with a lot of the things you say. So it's also very cathartic to get emotional with you when we were talking about protesting, because I'm like, yeah. I know he's right there with me. Yep. Well, I, I've, I've also like, I've gotten better at it, but like when I have conversations with people who were not on the same wavelength on like point of views or uh, interest or perspective or frame of mind, any of that stuff. Um, the one thing that most people leave the conversation that we have with is like an understanding more of like, of what they'll either know more about what they were originally talking about than they did before talking to me or they'll have a better understanding of the, uh, of my, my side or an opinion they did not share. But I also play devil. Like the best thing you can do is what's called steel manning the argument, which is one of my favorite things to do. What so is that? Say, can you say that again? That didn't come yeah, it's, clearly. It's called steel manning the argument. So it's a form of, it's a, de- it's a debate, uh, trick essentially where when you're having an argument with someone, the best way to, uh, basically, have them get a better understanding or, or the best way to fight their argument is to use the best version of their argument that they may not even be using. So let's say you're in a, in a debate with someone and they keep using the same line of logic to try and make their point. And you know that, well, if they said this, this, or this, they'd have me, they would get me. I wouldn't know what to say to that. And if you try and use that, if you argue against that, which they're not even presenting to you, you're presenting to yourself a better version of the argument that they're presenting and you go against that argument and try to defeat that argument or, or best that argument or way, a way to like to, to like subjugate it, then your perspective, your arguments will get better because of it. Right. So you're, you're trying to fight the, the boss versus uh, at the end of the game, right out the gate versus building up to it. Right. Mm. So when I, when I, when I come across something that I'm challenged by that, like I like to steal man arguments that I have, like what's the best argument against my idea. And it forces you to realize that you're like, I may think that I'm I, like, I'm 99% sure that the earth is not flat, but what are the flat earthers? What are the points of they? What, what are they making? Well, if they told me that this, this, and this, then I'd be really stuck. I wouldn't know for sure. So let me research those three things and see how, and all it does is make your argument better. If not change your mind, if you're wrong, Put it simply. So it's so what you're saying is what I'm getting from this is yeah the importance is have conversations with people who might think differently than you or challenge you because you're going to learn how to have better conversations with people or you're going to hear things that you could say oh you know what that's different than what I think let me investigate Mm -hmm. that and see more which is what we need to do in in the world we have to be curious yeah. 
the the best thing that I like that I've kind of over the years. I think we may even talked about it at some point. Um, it's called Street Epistemology, which is a uh, conversational format which is based on Socrates. Um, basically, it's you know when you're when you're hanging out with a little kid, and the kid goes, "Hey, why is the sky blue?" And you're like, "Oh, it's because it's got oxygen. There's atmosphere." And then the kid goes, "Well, okay, well, why?" Why is there oxygen? Why is there? And they keep asking why, 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 and they never stop. That's kind of the Socratarian method. Basically, is you ask questions that challenge the person to have to know why they know things. Mm, that's deep. I think my husband so, follows that challenge. <laughs> yeah, it's for everything. It's, it's it's the best way to have conversations with people you disagree with because what you do is is you come from. Uh, you come from a position of null. It's called the null hypothesis, which is you don't know anything. Convince me of what you believe and show me how you got there. Like show me your homework. Like show me the work. Show, show me how you got to the point where you believe this is true. And you ask questions along the way that says like the, the most common use of this is with religion. As as an atheist, I have I love these conversations. You and I have talked about them previously. Mm-hmm. And so when a uh, Christian comes up and says. Uh, they're like, oh, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and I'm gonna go to heaven today because I uh, gave my life to Him. And blah blah blah. And you're like, okay, cool. I don't believe that, but I want to know why you believe it. And if you're right, I want to know less wrong things and more right things. So you tell me why you got there, and if I'm convinced, cool. That I know. You, the, uh, are you someone that will say if somebody say you think something and then somebody? gives their opinion and you realize, Oh my God, us, I was wrong. Are you man enough? Or do you have enough oh. is your ego controlled enough for you to say, you know what? I was wrong. That was a good point. I love, I love being wrong because that means that I was believing something that was wrong. And I want to believe wanna that's right. Exactly. Exactly. I agree with you. So that's the great thing about street epistemology or the secretary method is it, it challenges people in a very gentle way. So you can have the most, like abrasive topics and you can talk about them because you take your opinion out of it. You're just asking questions. You're not saying, well, you're wrong because I believe and here's a bunch of facts. Mm-hmm. That doesn't change anyone's mind. I mean, it may, but it's, it's very rare. What you do is you cause them to learn how confident they should be about the things they think they know based on the reasoning that got them there. Right. Yeah. Like, and if you believe it enough, you know, what, what do you do when you're having a conversation with someone and they're like, it's just the thing I believe and that's it. Say, okay, let's take the religion conversation for a minute. I just have faith and that's it. I don't need to care. I don't care. Like, how do you continue? Do you just stop the conversation? Cause I feel like at that point, there's no moving forward. We're back into one of my passionate topics. So, (laughs) um, I can tell your entire the way you're speaking has changed completely. Yeah. 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 This is, this is what happens. So when people offer, when you say, why do you believe this? They don't give their third reason. They give their first, most important reason first. Otherwise, like logically they wouldn't like, okay, well I believe this because let me go down the Rolodex. Okay. The 55th reason why I believe this is this. And here's the evidence why you should believe it too. Right. They always start with their strongest evidence. So when someone says, um, I believe it because I have faith. The first thing you have to do is define faith. 
because this is one of those weasel words in the English language where faith can mean a bunch of stuff. It can mean trust. It can mean hope. It can mean believing in something without evidence. All of those things can be true. And so one of the reasons that religions are so good at existing is they use those words that can be interchanged depending on the situation and they can provide um, a, a, a knowledge, of, uh, a subset of knowledge that the person will then perceive as being accurate because they can use that word in three different ways and they're not sure which way you're meaning it, but they can choose the meaning out of it that makes the most sense to them and then the bias will kick in. So when someone says, I believe in it because I have faith, you just got to have faith in Jesus and that's the only way you're going to come to know him. I'm like, okay, so what's your definition of faith? And if they use the biblical uh, term usage, it's a better way to put it, is believing in things unseen. And basically, I don't have any evidence to believe it. So I believe it because it's, it's, it's what I want to believe. It's, like basically, it's the lack of evidence, but I still believe it. So if that's the case, and you got to Jesus, well, what if a Muslim guy was sitting right here next to me, and he go and I ask him why he believes that Allah is the true one true prophet, and uh, you, you know you're gonna get a bunch of virgins when you die and all that jazz, and he goes, well, you just have to believe it on faith. Well, if you're both using faith to get to two different answers, and me being the the the, the person who doesn't know which one of you is right, we both now know, and we can usually agree that faith is not a reliable method to use to get to the actual truth because you guys use the same method and got the two different answers. One of you has to be wrong. Yes. And I don't know which wrong. one. Yeah. Right. So how do I test this by using faith? I can't use faith because if I have, I don't have any evidence as I stand right now, I don't have evidence. So how do I get faith and then use faith as the evidence to then believe the thing that I have to use faith to prove that it like, it's just the circular logic. So, you can, that's one method to that, that the Socratic method uses is you ask them, well, you got the faith, you got the Christianity by faith. He got the Christianity by, or a Muslim, or um, uh, being a Muslim, but with, by, with faith. So why, if I use faith, how do I know if I'm going to get the right answer? So what you're doing is by asking, how do I know if I'm going to get the right answer? You're putting that question in their mind that they're going to use against themselves. Well, how do I know? that I'm using, I have the right one. If he got the thing that I was doing and got it wrong. So it forces them to break down how they know what they know and force them to realize, so oh, this is a bad method. So I got to get rid of that one. What's the other method I have? Oh, my, I grew up, I was raised in the church. All my family and all my, I was raised in the church and that's why I'm a Christian. And that's why I believe it to be true. Well, he did the same thing. He was raised a Muslim. All his friends are Muslims. So he believes it to be true. So once again, we're in a conundrum. We don't know which one of you is right. So we throw that out the window. What's next? And we keep, and you can do this through every one of their arguments because all of their arguments are going to be fallacious for the most part. They're going to use ad populum, which is everyone does it, so it should be true. That's an ad populum uh, fallacy. Um, I was raised in it. That's, that's a fallacy. Uh, well, the Bible says it's true. Well, that's cherry picking. That's the, you know, the book that proves the book doesn't make sense. Um, so you can go down this rabbit hole of all these logical methods, and that's why I love logical fallacies and uh, the laws of logic, because when you get down to it, you can't know something unless the evidence is there for it. Because people, people say, well, you choose to believe something. That is a moronic statement. You, you, no one chooses what they believe. 
They're convinced of what they believe. If I choose to believe that my foot is a pineapple, it doesn't mean it's true and I'll never be true. I can't convince myself of that. There's no evidence for it. So long and short of it. Well, I love your passion. When, um, you know, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. You are. Um, when did you realize well, that? Well, I would challenge you with that. Oh, would you? Oh, I love yes. it. I, I, I think we've me. talked about this too. So uh, belief is another one of those weasel words. Like belief, believe. Um, I like to say when people ask me uh, what I believe, I go, I don't know, but I'm reasonably convinced of things. Okay. So would it be, would it be better for me to say, I don't, be, I don't think there's a God because I don't believe the, there's any proof. That's the more, yeah. Like, but I guess all I said, it's usages, right? But it's, we use shorthand. So like, I don't believe God exists. That's an accurate statement because you don't believe God exists. I do but not. If I I say, but that, and which, it's, which most people think when they say atheist is that you believe there is no God, which is not accurate. You have a lack of faith a lack of uh, belief in an existence of a God, not you're sure certain no God that is there. So do you think, do you think everyone's really just an agnostic because, because we really don't know. There's, there's a, about anything you could ever know. There's, uh, there's basically a a four, like think of a a box with a cross in it. Right. So it's basically four squares inside of one big square. Right. On one side, you have atheism or atheist and theist. Because that's the only two positions you can have, right? You can only be an atheist or a theist. Right. On the other side, you have Gnosticism and Agnosticism. So you are either uh, sure of something or you're unsure of something. Those four positions are the only four positions you can have on any topic. So it's, it's almost like a graph of like, where would you sit? So I consider myself to be an agnostic atheist, which means I don't know if there's a God, but I'm definitely not convinced that there is one. But if the evidence came along, I would choose, I, I would, I would accept that if it's valid until new evidence came about that said it wasn't right. Like I'm open to the possibility, but I'm, as of right now, I'm 99% sure that the God doesn't exist, but I'm open to that 1%. Right. And if he came over the sky and he was like, hello, everybody, I'm finally here because so much has been going on in the last 2000 years. Now is when I'm finally going to come. I mean, I always say if he was going to come, it would have been during the Holocaust, but I could be wrong. Um, but here's the thing is, how do you know you're not, not delusional? What do you mean? How do you know for sure the thing that you're seeing is the thing that you're seeing is actually happening in reality? Do you mean like if, if Jesus came across the sky and said, I'm here, children, and I'm going to rapture you up to heaven? Yep. Oh, I would how think you know that, that's I, oh, Jesus, I, How do you know that's actually God and how do you know that's actually happening? Well, I would think my husband threw some mushrooms in my tea and then I would figure exactly. it out. Exactly. Which, which is a much more rational, logical probability than a deity that's never shown his face is writing magic words in the sky. Which is, is an argument that's like, my husband and I just was having this conversation a couple weeks ago, how how people who, you know, the burning bush and all these stories, they were probably on some type of hallucinogenic drug. Well, I, this is a very common, this is, there's, there's uh, uh, many, many apologetics and, and anti-apologetics about that, um, about the origins of these stories and the the, the uh, the oral telling of stories and how we use, you know, because we use words like English language has a bunch of words that mean a bunch of different things. And so did ancient Arabic. And so did all those previous languages. They had words that had multiple meanings and the context has gotten lost and then we'll never know that context. So 
Then you add in the fact that the Bible's been translated a bunch of times. Um, there's different versions of it. Like, we don't know the authors of many of the Gospels. They, like, did you, I don't know if you know this, but do you know who wrote uh, um, uh, Mark, Matthew, John? Do you know who wrote those books of the Bible? Was it, it wasn't Mohammed, was it? No. No, who was No it? one knows. Oh, well, there you Nobody go. Nobody knows. There you go. They they know that they're written, but and they also are copies of a copy of themselves. So, um, they're, they're like, and this is a like I said, I could do another TED talk on it, but um, it's we don't know the, how confident you are in a belief is something that people have a real hard time with. I can be, you can change my mind about anything, absolutely anything. But you have to have evidence that leads me there that is equal to the thing you're presenting. So when LJ and you and I were hanging out at one time, I used the, the purple dragon analogy, which is like, I have a pur- purple dragon. It's in my basement. It talks to me. If you want to go see it? And I, and, we, and I take you to there like, yeah, I don't really believe. I need to believe you. I need to see the, see the dragon form. I believe it because that's a crazy, crazy statement, right? So how do I know you're not just some crazy person? And so then we go down to my basement and in my basement, there's a big chain uh, that's tied to the wall, but there's nothing attached to it. It's just in there. And I go, look, it's Steve. This is my, my dragon, Steve. Uh, hey, hey, Steve, say hi. And you don't hear or see anything. You're like, yeah, I don't, there's nothing here, bro. Like, where's this dragon you're talking about? Like, there's no dragon here. I don't see a dragon. And I go, well, you just got to have faith that the dragon exists. Like, that's, that's an absurd statement, right? Yeah, I would so, think you were crazy. But then, then if I then we erase all of that, and we you and I are sitting in the bar, and like, hey, I got a dog, really cute. You want to see a picture of it? And I show you a picture of my dog. But it's just a dog. It's not me in the picture. It's just a dog. Would you believe I had a dog? Um, yeah, because why would you show me a picture of someone else's dog? Well, there's a possibility that I don't have a dog, and I'm lying to you. But the difference is, is you know that dogs exist. You know that keep people keep them as pets. You know that uh, I'm a dog lover. You have all these facts that that are around that. So it doesn't take much information for you to believe me, even though I told you I have a dragon and I told you I have a dog. There's a two two claims that I'm making. But the, the, the amount of evidence you need to believe in one is not the same as the amount of evidence you need to believe in another. And that's where we live. People need to, you need to have demonstrable evidence for me to be convinced of something doesn't mean you're right or I'm right for believing you. It means I'm more likely to believe you the better the evidence is and the more of it I have that means more toward the accuracy. So that's why when, I, when people say, like, I, I believe 100%, usually it's hyperbole on, but mm-hmm. when people believe in it, like a lot of religious people say, 100% sure that God exists. Uh, I know for sure. I know for certain that you never change my mind. Those people are delusional. There's no way you can be 100% right because you don't know for sure if you're not just a head in a jar in some spaceship somewhere. Oh God, that's an, that's an entirely different conversation. There's this whole thing going on right now and I don't want to get into it cause it's like a deep and I don't know that much about it, but where we're all living in an alternate, not an alternate, but we're all living in like in a matrix thing. Yeah. That's not, have that's you seen a very, that re- have you heard that recently? <laughs> what is that? Um, about, about eight years ago, I was researching it. So, um, there is a thing that's called hard solipsism is the name of that. So hard solipsism is a, if you're a hard solipsist, you don't think any of this is real. You're, you, you are in some program or you're just a head in a jar. Like none of this is real. The hard, that's called solipsism. And hard solipsists believe that 
none of this is real. It's all, uh, you know, an algorithm or whatever. So that's been around for a really long time. Just Matrix is the best, like, like pop culture uh, version of it. Okay. Yeah. yeah, no, we were, yeah, we were talking about that, but here's the, fu- here's an interesting thing about that. When you say that to me, I'm like, that can't be true, but there's probably people well, who are like, is, well, how do you know it's not? And you can well, use that argument is, with religion. How do you, you cannot, you can, the thing is, is you, you, you can't, if things are unfalsifiable, it's, uh, they're unlikely. Cause if I can never prove that it's not what you're telling me it is, how am I ever going to prove anyone wrong? So when, a good question to ask people who are very religious is what would, what would change your mind? What would prove to you that you are wrong? And if they say nothing, then there's no, you just stop talking about person. Or you, so just, no stop, way that you just, you just stop talking about religion because there's no way you're going to be yeah. able to have any type of back and forth. If they're like, no, I no. believe this a hundred percent. But if you ask me if, uh, what would, what would it take for you to be, uh, um, anti-abortion, let's say something, something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, if you, if, if you, oh my God, you brought that, up abortion, Jesus Christ. I know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> as an example, I just want to find like a hot topic. So oh, yeah. like, but I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm definitely pro-abortion. So pro-choice. So for me, it's, it's like, what's the thing that will convince me? Like, well, it'd be evident. Wait a minute. Are you, are you pro-choice or pro-abortion? Cause you just said both. Well, I, it is both, in my oh, opinion. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm for abortion, which is the choice that women would have. So, in my opinion, they're the same kind of thing. Okay. There's obviously nuance there, but that's just a story. Okay, that but, makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at. So, I, you can't know anything for certain. And the problem with hard solicism is there's no way to prove that we're not ahead in a jar or not in the matrix. So, it's kind of an irrelevant thought to even talk about. Until we we have ability to test it, it doesn't matter. I'm gonna live my life in the reality that I know I I have an effect on. Like if I just live my life like hard solid, I can just do whatever the fuck I wanted, right? Mm-hmm. I could just shoot, oh, yeah. myself in the, shoot myself shoot myself in the foot and then whatever, it's bleeding, cool. Yeah. Like, but there's no there's no point into living that way, in my opinion. There are some people who do. There are some people who are are quote quote unquote hard solid, but teach them. What are they like? What's that life like? You don't give a fuck. You're like a nihilist or something. Well, it's going to be different for everyone. They're all going to perceive it differently and act accordingly to whatever, whatever degree they, they feel it's important. But yeah. Let me, let me, let's talk about, you know, I love to talk about religion. Now, how do you, do you think that a lot of people, I hate using hyperbole, but do you believe a lot of Christians possibly believe in God or believe in an afterlife, heaven, whatnot, because they just can't cope with what's happening on the planet? Um, a lot of it, yes. It's basically, well, this kind of draws back to our, our, you know, if you go back into our lineage of our DNA and the evolution, it's, it's just think of the, the somewhere on the safari, there's some humanoid, uh, creature looking up in the skies and, and like looking out for lions and stuff. Like at some point we, we didn't know, like even in the, 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 the iron age or the, um, I think it was, no, the iron age, the, I don't remember. Industrial, the, the, what was that? Industrial? No, arcad- yeah. no I'm thinking of like the, the, the days of Jesus. Um, oh, that was, they were, that was carpenter days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, there's a name for it. But I can't remember the top of my head. Um, but like they didn't have access to the knowledge we have access to. 
And humans like simple answers because it's easier for us to, oh, I don't got to worry about uh, the Milky Way galaxy and the amount of asteroids that are coming to us and how the formations of those gas are into like They didn't need that to survive. It wasn't important to them, right? So, but what was important to them was dealing with each other. So they would sit around a fire and talk about, you know, like my civilization and your civilization. And the more, we are the only creature on the planet that, that we know of that we teach each other stuff, right? Like we pass on knowledge to like, one of the reasons apes don't, um, don't have the, the, have not evolved to the intellect that we have is because they were a wasn't useful to them. And B is they don't teach. So, You've seen like uh, chimpanzees using sticks and stuff to get ants out of a fire. Like they use, they basically people think that they're in the Stone Age right now. Um, there's yeah. Are but, you saying that there's monkeys living in the Stone Age right now? Because I, I I I've read that. That, that is that is that is a, that is a thing. Yeah. That's so um, so they they're using the, uh, primitive tools and stuff to achieve goals. Um, but they don't teach their children these these things. So one of the things that happened with uh, it's speculated that that happened with the humans is we were teaching our, each other and our offspring the things that we knew. So that's why the oral tradition is, is obviously such a big part of our, our, our past and why it's still is, is viable today because it's basically made us into this giant planet that we live on now and how much we're fucking it up. But um, is we, have the, we, have, we have the ability to share knowledge. And the problem is, is we're pattern recognition machines so that when we see a face in the bushes, we're going to run away because I'd rather bet that, that, that the guy that stayed to see what they, what's in the bushes, whether it's a face or not, he might get eaten. So the guy that leaves and runs away and plays it safe is more likely to survive than the guy who's like, I'm going to check it out. See if it's the actual face over there. You know, Oh, then it's a panther and they eat you. Right. So like, that's just part of the way we work. And so our pattern recognition system is helped us, but it also has kind of hindered us in ways because we want easy solutions to hard problems. So, Oh, there's bolts of lightning and then there's this big loud boom in the sky. Well, you see, there's a guy up there. He's got a big hammer and he hits the thing and it makes a big sound and it shoots the lightning out of it. That's easier than uh, cloud forms, molecules, electrons. Right, right. Like, <laughs> it just so we, we seems want, easier. Yeah. yeah. We, have a, we have a desire to find the pattern, but we're also, we want the simplest solution because it's the easiest for us to a understand and B tell you about. Right. Because we have not, you know, I'm fascinated with the idea that, well, how, how long have we been living in this, like what, what 10,000 years that we've actually been thinking at this level? Well, he, he, like was, he was around for, a, no, it's, it's, uh, I think it's on the, it's on the, it's on the million scale. I think it's like, Oh really? God, yeah, you, would, maybe, you would think we would be more evolved by now. Well, we live, we live like it's, it's, uh, that's this, uh, this another word. Evolved is, is kind of taken on a word of its own. Um, you know, some of like, well, they're more evolved than, than we're more evolved than fish. Well, no, they're just as evolved as we are. They just evolve differently. There's no, there's no better way to evolve than another way to evolve. It's just how evol evolution is just the mechanism. So there's, it's, it's just how things happen. It's not that we're more evolved than anyone else. It's we've evolved more times or in the, uh, we have a bigger gradient. So like a, a tree is just as evolved as I am. You know what I mean? Well, 
But we don't use well, it. No, we I know what it. you're saying. Well, I know what you're saying. It's well, like, it's, well, it's well, at the level. It. Yeah. Yeah. We use it like we're, we're, we're more intelligent. And so like, so the colloquialism of it is, it's kind of lost on its actual meaning, but. Well, you lost me with tree. Cause now I'm going to be like, Oh my God, the tree in the backyard is probably, it's definitely more evolved than I am. Cause I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like an ape. I can't be, but no, I, I, I was going to ask you when we were talking about religion and about the planet and stuff, I think that some people, you know, how, how do I say this? Cause not all, I hate you speaking in a hyperbole, but so, I know. um, a lot of these but politicians, right. A lot of these politicians, conservatives, they don't care. They don't think the environment's in danger and stuff like that. And they think it's well, all a hoax, but my, what, what was that? They're more or less, they're paid not to talk oh, about it. They're, they're paid they not to. But, you know, I wonder how much of that is people, you know, really religious people who are waiting. There are people right now who are waiting for Jesus Christ to come back. So they, and they really believe he's coming. No, they believe he's coming. And my grand, and here's the thing. My grandmother was, she would wash the sheets every day because she wanted to make sure the house was clean for Jesus. I mean, it was, she was that type of Catholic, like, and I would always joke with her and be like, Jesus is coming, you know, whatever. And, but I wonder if there's this point of people think, Oh, I don't care. Okay. I'm just going to throw this out. Um, I know somebody who doesn't take care of themselves. They, they barely leave the house. They don't care about their health. And when you question them and they're older, they have some mental, they have mental. Yes, they do have mental health issues and physical issues. But when you question them, they're like, well, why does it matter? Jesus is coming. Yeah. That's uh, that, like when people, this is a common question that atheists get is, um, well, if you don't, if, if, if there's no purpose to life and you don't have like a moral code that's given to you by God, then what's the point? Why don't you just go around murdering and raping people? Cause there's right. no, there's no consequences to your actions. And then the person's like, and I'm going to do good because the Bible says if I do good and I do the right kind of good and I believe in these things, I'm going to go to heaven and be in paradise forever. And atheists will often say that's kind of fucked up. <laughs> I've had somebody say that to me. I'll this tell life you in a minute. Is, yeah this life is a doormat to the the real life. So you're just going to shit on it. So the trick here is, is you're coming from a place of moral uh, superiority by saying that you're going to be a better person because a book told you to, so that mm. if you, cause if you don't, the, the big ghost in the sky will send you to hell forever and burn. Or if you do a couple of the things that are, you know, relatively easy to accomplish by not, you know, killing and murdering people, then you can go to uh, paradise. Well, what's the point? Like I, as an atheist want to live and treat people the best I can now. Right. Because I don't want to live in a place where people are shitty to each other because I don't want people to be shitty to me. So I'm going to be as good of a person as I can, as I can be and enjoy the life I have because I only get one. You're saying I can just fuck this one up and it doesn't matter. Cause I'm going to go to heaven. Right. Yeah, but I'm not going to take that chance because I'm living now. You know, 11 years I think it was 11 years ago. I was it was a coworker of mine and I guess she didn't know I was an atheist. And when I finally sure. we were sitting at a table and I said it and you would have thought I'm not oh, lying, yeah. and I'm not exaggerating and oh, I know yeah. I know I exaggerate a lot. You've worked with me for a couple of years. I exaggerate. Yeah. 
You would have thought I just said, I rape children. Like her fate, she dropped her pen. She almost started crying. She immediately said, I'm going to, I'm going to pray for you tonight. I thought she was joking. I thought, cause we were just talking about all the dick she gets, right? It was so bizarre. Uh Like she's a married, she was a married woman, but she was fucking some guy. And she was very yep. open and honest about it. And then when I was like, I, I don't, yeah, no, I don't believe in God. She was so upset and offended and wanted to save me. And I was like, no, 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 you don't know, honey, listen, no, I'm good. I'm good. And her question to me was, well, how, how do you know what's right from wrong? And yep. I well, a, a religion have and I looked basically at her, corrupted it. Yeah, and I think that well, it only comes from a religion, right? And I said, "Well, what what do you mean?" And she goes, "Well, how do you know not to go out and rob ten banks?" And I said, "Because I fucking know that's wrong. I don't need someone to tell. I don't need a book to tell me that was written two thousand years ago by people we don't know to tell me don't go rob a bank. I know not to murder people, and I know not to kill people, or I know not to molest children, or I know not to do bad things. I know these things." And, and then the Christian argument would be, "Well, the only reason you know that is because God wrote it, wrote it on your heart." No, no. She basically said, well, I feel bad for your soul. And I said, okay, so should yeah. we go back to you fucking other guys while you're married? Or should we talk about me being an atheist? Cause I hate to tell and you, then, you are the sinner. <laughs> yeah. And then you yeah. go, well, I don't believe in soul. So I don't care about that either. She was not happy with me, but she, um, it was, it, it was the first time in my, and I was probably like 35 at the time. It was the first time yeah. I had received that type of, like, like fear for my soul. And I thought, how hypocritical are you that you are actually breaking one of the commandments? Like if, if right now you and I had to face Jesus, he would say, okay, well, this guy doesn't believe in me, but let's not be, let's be realistic. I haven't been around for a while. So I can understand that you are fucking on your husband. You are fucking on your husband. That's not what she's learned. She's learned that she can ask for forgiveness for any bad thing that she does as a get out of jail free card. You are going to hell. And she, everything that, it's almost like, like, you know, when people say, bless your heart, it's an insult. That's oh, yeah, it is. basically it is. almost all of Christianity, in my opinion. It's, sure. it's like, they're saying like, we want, you know, as an atheist, you're just, you're just going to go to hell because you don't believe in him. And the only way to believe in him is or only way to get to heaven is to believe in him. And I'm like, well, I don't have the evidence. And he didn't provide it. So why should I do like, why would he send me to the hell for something? He wasn't good at proving to me that exists. If that's so important. Well, do you, you know? Do, yeah, of course. Do, yeah, I do know. Do you have a moment? Do you have a memory? Do you remember the moment you were like, Oh, I don't believe in this. Yeah. Me too. What was yours? This was one of my epiphanies. Oh. So I was, I was, I just moved from Vegas. I was living in a studio apartment in K-Town in uh, LA here near Hollywood. And I had no mattress. I had no couch. I had no nothing. I was sleeping on a, uh, a leaky air mattress. Um, and all I had at the time was an iPhone 3GS uh, that was broken. And this is, the, you know, this is 3G. So, you know, the, the speeds of, of file uh, movie watching was pretty bad. But this is the early days of YouTube. And I came across a movie called Zeitgeist. There's a, it's a three-part series. Um, I highly recommend. It's got some stuff that I'm not so like you know keen on nowadays, but um, 
it basically talks about how the world works. That's kind of what Zeitgeist means. It's like the, the, the common place, the common scenario of this existence right now. It's the Zeitgeist of the planet. So it is to talk about like things I, it basically exposed me to things I was never aware of. Like how the story of Jesus is not original. Like born of a virgin, son of a, uh, son of a God, um, half man, half God, uh, lived, lived for 30 years and then was, uh, was killed and then, um, lived again as a god. All those stories are Hercules, and there's a bunch of stories. Uh, uh, I can't remember. Uh, there's a bunch of uh, gods. So all these stories were just re- regurgitated into this one, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't know that before that. So that that spawned some doubt. And then it just oh, yeah. kind of Cr- Christianity <laughs> was stolen. The ideas were stolen from so, other. Well, all of it yeah. Is. yeah. Well, it used to be, it used to be a thing where you go from one village to the next, and you're like. So what God do you believe in? What kind of, what kind of God do you guys got over here? Like they, like they thought gods were local. <laughs> like, it's like, Oh, that's cool. Your God is that. That's but, awesome. But, God we're, is so but cool. we're still like that because you have, you have the yeah. Christians who believe their God is real. You have the, you have the Muslims who believe they're the, you know, so I think it's just on a bigger scale, bigger villages, but yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. You. No, you're good. Yeah. Like back then for them, it was it, like, there was no animosity between the two. Um, for the most part, there obviously got there's a couple of wars that kind of changed all that. But um, the smaller villages, that, but what happens is is the 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 most absorbent ideas became the majority or the minority, and then they became the majority. Like um, like uh, you look at the like, I always this is my fallback position when people ask me like about well yeah if you don't believe in Christianity then then like what do you celebrate Christmas? I'm like, A, no, and B, either of you. Because if you're a real Christian, you would realize that um, majority of the, the traditions you abide by are pagan. Yeah, they would. So, yeah, they don't realize that. So <laughs> they don't really, no, they don't want to pay attention to that. Yeah, because they like the tradition that makes them feel good. So that's a lot of it, too, is they want to believe things that make them feel good. So, yeah, it's like it's the, when you talk about history and stuff like that, that's kind of where I, I, my, my rabbit hole was. I always had some doubts. Like when I was in college, one of my um, uh, anthropology teachers was kind of a dickhead. Um, my dad's in the funeral industry, and so I grew up around dead bodies, oddly enough. Well, this um, make, that actually so, makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> weird, I know. Uh, but um, so he, he's part of the funeral industry, and the, the anthropologist was kind of this kind of so foxy kind of teacher, like he professor, like he talked. But the whole time, and then he, nothing they talked about was ever on a test. It's all in a book that you had to read separately. Um, but he talked about how his son uh, had cancer and passed away, and he goes, "I, you know, for all he knows, I could just throw him in a in a ditch somewhere and call it a day." But the funeral industry like takes advantage and look and, and wants you to pay all this money and then bury them and and you know use all these chemicals and stuff. And I was I was so insulted I walked out because. I took it personally what this guy was saying. I wasn't listening to what he was actually saying. And, but it, it also spurred some doubt. And another doubt I had was like, well, if I was born in, in Afghanistan, I would probably be Muslim because my parents were raising Muslim and there's a lot of Muslims in Afghanistan. It's not a lot of Christians because they'd all get murdered. Um, but it's like, so what if, like I asked my parents this, why, what would happen to a kid that was, uh, grew up in Afghanistan raised to be Muslim, he's not going to go to heaven. Right? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, but that's not his fault. No one ever told him about Christianity. So how is he supposed to know? So God just kills people 
just because they didn't get a chance to, to know. And he goes, well, that's why we do mission work. And that was the answer. Mm. That was the answer I got. Well, that's why we got to go and go to them and preach the, the word of God because we need to go save all of them. I'm like, that's kind of a fucked up situation. That was kind of where, like, I, I had doubts all along. But well, it's it was so arrogant. Like, it's so arrogant to think your God is the one. It's ego. It's human ego. It's like, it's like how I'm the fuck do wrong. you know? I, um... Well, I remember, I remember, I, I, so I used to be a big Christian. I love saying the term big Christian. Uh, you know, I was, <laughs> I was really into, I don't know if you've ever remember the left behind series. Oh, my parents still love those books. Le- I almost called you bitch. I almost said, bitch. Uh, I, was, I was obsessed. I was waiting. I would go to the parliament house in Orlando, which is a gay bar. And I would walk around screaming, y'all going to hell because Jesus is coming. Like I, <laughs> but then I would be sucking dick too. Don't ask too many questions. So um, I'm like my friend at, my, I'm like that girl. She's yeah, like yeah, yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about, yeah. I'm going to hell. But, and I, but I, runs deep. <laughs> homosexuality runs deep. So I remember that's what she said. That's what, she said. Um, that's what LJ said. Oh, uh, so, but I remember specific. So I read these books and I believed them. I believe this was going to happen. And I don't know what happened, but I started saying, you know what? I I'm interested in this. Let me start. Let me really start investigating the Bible. Let me be open-minded. Most atheists most atheists become atheists by reading the Bible. Which is- I believe that most, 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 I can't even speak now. Most atheists know more about religion than actual Christians. That is about uh, a certain of a thing you could say is that it's possible to say. Because there's a reason we don't believe it's because we've actually investigated, right? So I remember the first thing that really just popped in my head was Noah's Ark. That was the first thing that I started questioning because I I sat down logically and I thought, is this possible? Is this really possible? Every we are still, but every single single thing, every animal that has been on this planet was in an arc. So then I started, so then I was like, well, that does, that makes no sense. So then I, so, and that was like the little fire. Cause then I thought, all right, well, I don't believe that. Well, let me go. Oh, let me find on an airplane. Why not? Why not? Why not on a seven thirty seven? Let's pull in Scientologists. If God was, Oh, you didn't have airplanes back then. So how could they have thought of one to make one? Well, yeah, exactly. But no. So that was the thing. And then I started digging in more and then I thought, if I don't believe five things in this book, maybe yeah. I don't believe any of it. And yeah. then I started really realizing like, was this when you, when you really get into it, it's, it's kind of like a book that's written to make you afraid. So you'll follow the emperors and the Kings. Yeah. So like the, that's why it's the King James version because he was like, you know what? We're going to change this so that y'all bitches are even more scared. And it was all, it was just an avalanche. And then I woke up one day and I was just like, oh, I, I don't believe this. I, I don't believe this. And I felt free and I felt, yeah. cause you know, I was raised Catholic and you know, my grandmother would tell me, if you look in the mirror too long, you're going to see the devil. And you know, I'm just trying to look cute. You're telling me I'm about to see the devil. And <laughs> so it was all these things. And I just remember this, this feeling of, Oh, this is it. This is life. I have to live my life now. I can't be believing all these 
fabricated stories. And, you know, I'm going to, I try to do my best to respect people's beliefs, but I don't believe them. And I do think, and I'm one of those people that I, I personally, I think organized religion is actually dangerous. I agree. I think I have, I have, a, I have a little note for you. Oh, this tell is uh, something sure, sure. I picked up is um, you don't have to respect people's beliefs, but you should respect people. I love it. Yeah. Like if you come to me and say, I'm a Christian, I believe in God. I'm like, okay, well I don't. Um, I'm going to respect you as a fellow human being. Yep. If you have a problem with me, that's going to be on you. And then now I'm going to question actually the love and you're not really being a Christian because I actually know a lot of Christians and the ones that I know are pretty loving. They're pretty open. They're honest. You know, they, they love people. They're not homophobic. They're not racist, but there's a group of them who make the rest of them look really, really, really bad. Well, the funny thing is, is, is if you, the best, qualifying the the Christians is challenging, but fundamentalist Christians, if they're using the Bible as their their guidebook, like, you know, the Westboro Baptist Church is pretty much one of the most accurate uh, representations of that holy book. And Christians don't even like them. No, because they, they point out all the bad things. Like, well, Christians will, like, They'll have Bible verses on their signs that say God hates fags. Yeah, and they'll have a Bible verse. Right? Mm-hmm. So they're referencing the Bible, whereas the person at the, the church who likes gays is friends with all these gay people and it's super cool with like a gay community, you can do whatever you want. He's not living as close to the Bible's teachings as the Westboro Baptist Church person. So are you saying so they, that the Westboro Baptist Church are the, are the truest Christians? On, is that what well, kind of like? I'm saying they are, they are following more closely to the adherence of that book, which is impossible to adhere to because it's full of contradictions, as possible. Like they are high up there. They're almost like a lot of fundamentalist groups will, if it, it, it says in the Bible, it's true, right? Those are fundamentalists. So they believe that the written word is the written word and you cannot change it. And it even says in the Bible, you can't, you can't change a jot or tittle of the word for it to be true. So it also says in the Bible that you can interpret things as you need to. It's just because the Bible is like a mix of like 16 different books. So they're not all going to line up. So one of my favorite things to do with Christians is to teach them stuff that they don't know about the Bible um, and fuck with their head a little bit. One of them is, is I'll ask them, and you may know this because you're not a Christian. But do you know the story of the bald man and the bear? No, but I am a bald bear, so I'm very intrigued. I don't know. Uh, I don't know this. Story. A, this is a, uh, it's a basically a kid's story. So basically, there's a bald man walking down the street, and there's a couple of kids, a little group of kids, and they start making fun of him for being bald. Those the bald man gets the bald man gets upset, and so he tells God, "Hey God, you know these little shits over here? They're fucking making fun of me." Like, you should curse them. God's like, gotcha. <laughs> God, sends, God sends a bear. The bear kills the children. End of story. That's the story. That's it. That's the entire story. That's the story. Yeah, well, you don't hear about that. I didn't know that because, story. 
Well, it's because that story does not lend to the loving God that they are trying to promote. It's cherry picked out of. So it's it's what they do is they they pick they pick they take all the hits and they dismiss all the misses. So that story doesn't help their narrative, so they don't talk about it. Uh, another good question to ask a Christian is, uh, it, depending on if they're fundamentalists or not, but if they're like a, a young earth creationist or whatever, is the book was written, the, the book was inspired by God. And they're like, yeah, sure, it was inspired by God. Okay. So, but the, every word in the book that you know of is, is true because it comes from the, it comes from God's mouth and God can't be wrong. Sure. Who wrote Genesis? Because Genesis is a story about how God created the earth. And God talks. God says sentences in that time period. Yes. Yeah, he talks. Right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He talks. Yeah, so who, isn't, isn't he like, isn't he? To the, write it down. He's kind of like. By who? Like a human, almost. Weird how man created another man. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's like, like, so who wrote Genesis? And would you trust the author of, like, if, if there was a book that said that there's a magical pixies that created the universe in a book, but there's no author. Would you believe that book? Probably not. I wouldn't. Yeah, it's not likely. But Especially it something goes, so fantastic. But it goes back to what you said. It's what people learn. And then because they're not curious enough or they don't ask enough questions, you know. It, or it's out of them. It's definitely a, a, a what? What? Well, knowledge can be like, like if you have a question, like, like if I ask the question at church, that's some sort of apologetic or some sort of uh, way to convince me that what my, my question is either irrelevant. Um, God just, God just did it. So therefore that's the way the Bible says it happens. So that's how it happened. Um, they'll, they'll, they'll take away the critical thinking because they don't want you to ask questions because if you have questions, they'll have to answer them and they don't have the answers. So they'll, they'll make one up and say, God did it or whatever little trickery they have to, to convince you. So that's why that's why people believe things do. So they they're either not that they don't question it. They may have questioned it a million times, but they got an answer that was sufficient to them. Mm. Whether it was the right answer or the wrong answer, it was sufficient for them to continue to to believe. Right. You know, when I would question my grandmother, um, she would always say, "It's just the way it is. Stop asking. Yep. Que- stop." She would actually encourage me to not ask questions because I would they go to I, I would go to first I would go to catechism class and I got had my first communion and all that and and mm-hmm. I remember I would ask questions I would be like well if he is he watching me all the time like how, how do I yep. like I'd be scared and I would ask questions and she would be like stop asking questions you just you just yep. you know don't you know don't question and I'd be like well that doesn't sound right yep um, they, they beat it out of you because that's just the way that the the that's the way they were taught. They're taught that, like, basically, uh, sit and be quiet. If you have questions, I'll ask you if you want to ask questions, you know? Right. Yeah. Like, and I know if I had children, you know, I would not indoctrinate them into religion. I would, if they wanted to eventually believe in, you know, have you ever seen people like, oh, my son, he's a Catholic. No, he's not. He's three. He doesn't even fucking, he doesn't even know how to shit his pants. Like he shits his pants. He doesn't know that there's a man in the sky that's going to watch him throughout his entire life. I know if I had kids, um, I would let them find religion on their own. If they asked me, I would tell them my beliefs and I would say, here's all the documentation that I've looked at. And I encourage you to investigate Mm -hmm. this. 
Um, and you come up with your own decisions and you can come to me and ask me questions, but I would never ever have like a three or a four year old and be like, he believes in God. No, he doesn't believe he doesn't know anything. But if you're a Christian, you wouldn't want your kid to not be a Christian. Because if your kid's not a Christian, he's going to go to hell and you're a bad parent for letting your kid not, like, like you, you basically destroyed his, uh, his soul forever, eternity. Right, right. And who wants That's to go to, who wants to deal with that when you're trying to go to bed at night? <laughs> well, well, I, one of the things that I've, that child abuse is a funny word. Um, Two words, oh, actually, are you going where I think you're going? Oh, you are. Well, oh, I, I, I consider telling children that if they don't behave or if they don't pray for salvation or like whatever, if they die and they're not forgiven, they're going to go to hell for eternity. Oh, that's definitely that, abuse. Yeah, that's, that's abuse. psychological child abuse. Um, yeah, yeah well, but, my grandmother would tell me. What? I'm sorry. That's all I was right. Yeah, my grand, you know, if I was, you know, here's the thing. My mom was not religious at all. Like she was a sinner, <laughs> like the rest of us. And um, I learned all my sinning from Irene. No. And I remember she would be standing there. She didn't go to church. She didn't believe in God or anything like that. And my grandmother would say these things to me and my mom wouldn't stand up to her and say, don't, don't yeah. say that to my kid. Or, you know, don't tell him that if he looks in the mirror too long, he's going to go to hell because he's five. Like, don't say, yep. don't, don't frighten my child. But then let's rewind a little bit to talk about why religion was created to control people and to make people afraid. So it makes sense. Well, I would say it was, uh, it wasn't created for that. It, that. I feel like that's human nature to, to try and find answers for questions you don't know the answers to. I think what happened is it got corrupted by powerful people because they saw how um, powerful it is to manipulate minds of the, the, the masses. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's where I kind of deviate from that, but that's, it, it, it works. It's a, it's a damn good system. Like there's always a, there's always a sheriff watching over you. So if you do anything wrong, whether we know it's thought crime, it's basically thought crime. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I know that. <laughs> but, oh, that's from minority report, right? No. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, um, made you, famous, know, but, you know, who's um, one of the, I think one of the smartest people, I don't agree with him at all, but one of the smartest people is L Ron Hubbard. He was like, if you want to become rich and create, uh, create a religion. And he did. And yeah, it's, he took an old idea and, and made a fresh batch of it. And be, yes. And now look at that. Yeah. It's so fascinating. I had no idea that this conversation, you know, this is what's so great about podcasting is you have no, this is two episodes. This is part two, because I mean, this is the three hour conversation. This is amazing, but we're going to wrap it up because I have to pee. But before I let you go, what? Yeah. Oh, we're going to Joe Rogan style. Please don't get me all worked up and hard. <laughs> if you, when I hear Joe Rogan, I get boned up only because I want to be him when I grow up. So let's play. Let's play a game. It's called Let's Get Grounded, where I um, name a bunch of airlines. You pick one that you like. It doesn't matter. And then I ask you the question. Pretty simple. Okay. So, American Airlines, JetBlue, Southwest, Alaska. Um, Frontier. Well, I had to pick Frontier, and here's why. Okay. So I've taken a, quite a few Frontier flights because they're the cheapest to go back to Minnesota when I was 
going back to Memphis at all. All right. Well, so, that's good. I've been on Frontier they're not, they're twice. They're terrible. They're terrible. Oh, I hated it. I've been yeah. on them twice. Um, all right. Frontier Airlines. What is the one item you never travel without? Um, underwear. <laughs> so. It's logical. So. <laughs> all right. Can I ask you another question? Because that was. Yes, please. All right. I'm going to ask you this one because I, you know what? I should just take this out of the rotation and just end every episode with this question. Yeah, on a, sure. on, this is the JetBlue question, by the way. On a flight from okay. Los Angeles to Sydney, if you could sit next to any famous person, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Dead or alive? Well, um, it's a tough one because there are a lot of things, I, a lot of ways I could go with it, but. Um, man, that's a really tough one. Just how many hours is the flight? It's like a sixteen-hour flight, and the person wants to sit by you, like like you sit down and you're like, "Hi, yeah," and they want to talk to you. So we're gonna we make it easy. They want to talk to you. This is exciting. Sure. Um, I think like this is a little on the nose, but it's the only answer I can think of. I think Socrates. Okay. Well, he's dead, but yeah, dead or alive. All right. What would you yeah. ask him? Because I think that's part of the question. Oh, yeah, sure. Who would it be and why? Uh, why? Why Socrates? Yeah. Um, because he's part of the Enlightenment and the, the, all these fools did all day long is philosophize about how things work and whatever. And I did. I enjoy that. So um, I like those questions. And I think I'd be, I'd be fascinated to see how the, that came to be. Um, I would have some questions about diddling little boys as well. So, but well, you're so not. Was, you, you don't like to do that. But I'm not a fan. I think they did. They they that was part of their their culture. That was part of their the way they worked. So oh that's that's that that would that also also interests me, even though I'm against it. But I'd like I'd be curious to have that conversation. Right, because you'd be like, you know, we don't go for that now, and they'd be like, he'd be like, what? That was my favorite thing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, god see i am going to hell see i'm going to hell. Yeah, um good for you good for, well you'll be there so it'll be fun nate well, thank on. you so much ah oh, thank you so much yeah. for coming on this podcast this is a two ep this is the first your episode 30 what is it 33 and 34 because yeah, i've never done a three-hour conversation and I'm so excited about your movie coming up. I can't wait till it's done. I can't wait to see it. I I think you're fantastic. And it's just very exciting that you came on the show and you were so open and honest and I appreciate it. What's funny is we didn't even get to talk about Gary. Who? That'll be Gary. You know who Gary is? Who's Gary? Gary is my bus. You're, oh, because you bought, are you? <laughs> You bought it. You bought like a trailer, not a trailer, but you bought like a motorhome or a bus. Not a shuttle bus. Yeah. Are you are you converting it into an apartment? Uh, it's part of the movie, so I have to shoot oh. the movie first and then live in it. But I, I call it Gary Bussy. Okay. It's got its own Instagram page if I if I remember it correctly. Does. <laughs> Gary well, listen. You are fantastic, and I can't wait. You know, I do actually know a lot of the plot of your movie because one of your actors likes to talk a lot. Yeah, but chatty. I did not. I did not share it. But I'm so excited. Um, Thanks, 
about this movie and it's, you know, it's time for it to be made. So I'm really, I'm really excited. Yeah. Can I promote it real like the Instagram stuff? So yeah, this is when, yeah, this is when you hoe yourself out. So tell everyone where they can find your heathen ass on social media. Um, I, that's funny because that was going to be one of my uh, um, Instagram handles at one point. Um, uh, yeah, so you can follow me at Illuminate, which is uh, with an underscore between Illumi and Nate. Um, you can also find uh, the Force for the Trees movie. Uh, Instagram is basically at Force for the Trees movie and Force for the Trees movie.com. You can check that out. Um, you can also find the bus, uh, Gary Bussey, at the Gary Bussey, B U S S Y. Um, I have a bunch of products. Also, Midnight Profit Productions uh, is my studio and production company. You can follow me uh, at Midnight Profit Prod. Um, so those are kind of the easy ones. But yeah, and so I will I have I'll have all that information on the in the description of the episode too, so okay. people can just click on the buttons and they can follow you, and it's very exciting. Oh, and then they could go see your movie. At some point, I hope. I love it. No. Nate, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you, and I will talk to you soon. Yeah, buddy. All right. Take care. Thank you. What? We need another drink of Vinny. I'm sorry? We need to have another drink of Vinny. You know what? You know how you, you, you out of all people in the world know how much I loathe Los Angeles, but I will come to Los Angeles for an LJ Nate Vinny reunion. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, sir. I'll talk to you soon. All right, brother. Be well. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Later. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this week's episode of Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, please subscribe to the podcast. You'll get alerts when new episodes air. Also check out Flight Attendant Joe on Facebook and Instagram. And if you still haven't had enough of me, (laughs) check out the blog at www.flightattendantjoe.com.